message will sing from hymn 80 in all the stanzas, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and 6. I'll invite you to turn to that passage once again, to Job 42, to have that open before you for this afternoon's message. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we considered the wrestling match, the battle of wisdom. Out of the whirlwind came this challenge of the Lord, brace yourself like a man. These were the rules, I will question you and you will answer me. This was no contest between equals. God had won. Job had already yielded to a fall as a result of the first round of the contest. But Job is given a second chance. This initial response was good, but was only the beginning of his repentance. He has to recognize not only the unreasonableness of, of criticizing the Almighty, but also the sinfulness of doing that. He had not sinned during, this, during the beginning of this great storm, this great trial, uh, the beginning of the book in chapter 1. However, in the course of the trial, his attitude toward God at the moment was wrong. We come now to the end of the tragedy after the storm is over, where there is great blessing. As the storm subsides, there are three things that we note here about his repentance and the Lord's restoration. Our three points for this afternoon's sermon are, first, a deeper relationship. Secondly, reconciliation. And then thirdly, a renewed life. So first of all, a deeper relationship. Before we look at the actual confession to God, it would be helpful to uh, be reminded of the, the structure of, of the book, the overall themes that are worked out within it. The book opens with a description of Job's wisdom, a wisdom that is challenged by Satan as the Lord allows that to take place with this great trial that he goes through. Then there was Job's complaint where he wished that his life was over. Then follows the longest section where his three friends, miserable counselors, give their contributions. This is followed by the intervention of Elihu, who is the youngest of all the, the friends who are there, the fourth one. And then the Lord himself speaks in two rounds, which we looked at this morning. Two final short sections are recorded in these closing chapters, the first which records Job's confession of sin, and then the second where Job is restored and his wisdom is vindicated, as it were. So in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 42, we see that Job has a richer relationship with the Lord. It's, it's enriched. He sees that God is majestic. He sees that God doesn't have any obligation to explain to him why this or that happens. 
He has been brought to faith and dependence on the Lord. Note again in your Bibles that this trial had a divine purpose. A divine purpose that's recorded there in verse 2. He says, this is Job speaking, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You know, you can have an accident happen in your life. You can have an unexpected illness. There are many things that can happen to us which do not make sense. Who are we to question the Lord? You know, it's like the life of William Cooper, a a hymn writer in England, a man who suffered with what they used to call melancholy. Today we would call it uh, clinical depression. He at times found it very hard to live, and he was suicidal. At a time when Cooper was greatly distressed, he said, quote, I found my heart at length so powerfully drawn towards the Lord that having a retired and secret nook in the corner of a field, I kneeled down under a bank and poured forth my complaints before him. It pleased my Savior to hear me so that the oppression was taken off and I was enabled to trust him that careth for the stranger to roll my burden upon him and to rest assured that whatsoever he might cast my lot, wheresoever he might cast my lot, the God of all consolation would still be with me. And Cooper is the one who's known to write that, that hymn, God moves in a mysterious way in response to this trial that was in his life. Just before he was about to take his life. That's when he wrote that hymn. God spared him. That's what Job had come to see. Pain had caused him to hold on to hope. He quietly resolves to let it be known to God. It's really the practical outworking of what it means in Romans 8 verse 28. How all things work together for good to those who are called by God according to his purposes. But not only this, Job had learned something about himself through God's purity and holiness. Often when we're being sifted and and tried in a time of trial, there are aspects of our sinful natures that, that, that come to the surface. God's purity has a way of showing our grubby natures. Words that come out can convey the worst aspects of our natures. We say things that we shouldn't say. But what we say can cheapen our lives. It can hurt relationships. As Jesus said, out of the outflow of a person's heart, his mouth speaks. Don't we find that to be the case? You know, you've said things that you've regretted in the heat of the moment, in a time of great trial. Your mouth has gotten you into trouble. We fail to see the extent of our pride and prejudice and affliction as a way of bringing this out. Job saw this about himself. Like it or not, 
he was not as pure as he thought he was. Like a refiner's fire brings out that impurities to the surface. That's what a trial was doing. It it has accomplished that in his life. And that's why he says there in verse 3, Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Now, thankfully, however, the Lord didn't condemn him the way that, you know, we might expect him to, or the way that his friends would have expected God to do. In repentance, there's not only a recognition of our sin, but there's also a a taking hold of God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ. So this is also what Job came to see, that God is merciful, that he's gracious, that he forgives us of our sins. If there's one lesson that we learn in the book of Job that is obvious, it is the sovereignty of God and the constancy of his love toward those, towards, toward, toward his own. It doesn't mean that we should not expect adversity. In other words, God's sovereignty and love doesn't guarantee that life is always going to be easy. Corrie ten Boom knew this. She and her family were discovered for hiding Jews from the Nazis during Nazi occupation in, in the Netherlands. Um, you know her story well, I'm sure. They, they suffered greatly for this in prison and in a concentration camp. Some of the family died as a result of this. She said it very beautifully. She said, Jesus did not promise to change the circumstances around us. He promises great peace and pure joy to those who would learn to believe that God actually controls all things. As Jesus said, John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then he goes on to say in John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the peace that we can have in times of adversity. Have you repented of words that you've spoken or thought which reveal that sin in your heart? Before the Lord, is there sin that you must repent of today? Has your grubby nature been revealed. Can you honestly say from the heart today, I know that, I know, O Lord, that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You can't read God's mind. No one can. But you can read his word. You can trust in him even when everything in life seems to be falling apart. Well, brings us to what we see here in this text, the second point, which is reconciliation. The story of Job doesn't end with this confession. True, there is healing of his relationship with the Lord, 
Though he doesn't understand the purpose that lay behind his suffering, Job had resigned himself to God's sovereignty. He repented of his reactions, which display the sinfulness of his heart. He despised himself and repented in dust and ashes. Job may still have actually been on the ash heaps, but this meeting with the Lord has removed bitterness. Yet his story doesn't end there. He wanted some vindication, and he didn't get it. He had been willing to accept that, and he was willing to leave his case before the Lord. God, however, had other plans. Job's vindication is public and full. In the next section, Job, or rather, the Lord reminds Job's friends four, four times in the text here that he is what? He's my servant. And that stands as a, a warning to Satan who's proved a liar here. Job's suffering had been due to a, a struggle between good and evil on a cosmic scale, but Satan's boasting is now over. He's been defeated, and the Lord has triumphed. Not only this, the Lord came to Eliphaz, the oldest of the three friends, and said to them, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. And that underlines a lot of things all at once, including the reality of God's anger and the seriousness with which God treats our offending words. Is there a place in our understanding of, of God's anger? My wrath is against you and your two friends. Why? It's because they had lacked compassion. The Lord had more compassion on Job than they did. They were long-winded and angry. And it highlights to us that our words can be used like weapons. It can murder somebody. They can murder somebody. As Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of what? Of, of judgment. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of what? Of hellfire. There was a need here for a sacrifice. As God's servant, Job is asked to offer to God a sacrifice on behalf of his friends so that they would be forgiven. This sacrifice is costly. Seven bulls and seven rams. Only the wealthy could afford such an offering. And it was also to be a burnt offering. A burnt offering, which according to the Old Testament law, was, showed clearly God's anger poured out against sin. The offering was a substitute for those who offered it. And Job acts as a priest here, and the Lord accepts Job's prayer. But the point is, they make things right with him. They must make things right with him. 
It's a very beautiful picture here of reconciliation. You know, trials can make you bitter. Bitterness can take hold of a heart for wrongful things that people said and did 20, 30, even 40 years ago. Frustrations get pent up inside and you become unable to deal with life in a biblical way. That's something that we all struggle with. You know, when someone does something that hurts us, we tend to remember it for days, if not for years. When evil things happen, people find it easier to hold on to their pain than to let it go. And they can even refuse to give up their right to be filled with hate to be filled with a, and to be filled with a sense of wanting to seek revenge. There are some people who can never let go of a hurt against them that they can remain angry with a person long after they're dead and in the grave. We all have that tendency to hold onto grudges and to feel as though we somehow are more superior. But love lets go. Love records no wrongs, as 1 Corinthians 13 says. Love doesn't ignore the iniquity. It's painfully aware of what evil has done. Nevertheless, rather than returning evil for evil, it seeks to overcome evil with good. And that's the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was hanging on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he showed a forgiveness to his own disciples who had abandoned him and rejected him. You see, Job here was prepared to forgive and forget. In that sense, Job is God's suffering servant who offers a prayer on behalf of his friends through which God's wrath is appeased and they in turn are reconciled to God. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. This is a picture here of the Lord Jesus Christ. The intercession, the offering for sin that he has given for us, that he's done of himself, and the fact that he eternally lives in heaven to intercede for us. Well, it brings us to our last point, our third point for this afternoon's message, a renewed life. Having been vindicated in the sight of his friends, Job is also vindicated in the sight of family and fellow citizens. This is, a very, this is very different from a you know, modern-day story or a modern-day novel which can end on a depressing note. A lot of the modern type of stories that are written today end on a very depressing note, sad note. That's certainly not the case here. Job's fortunes are doubled. He lives 140 years. He sees his children and his grandchildren. There's something here of a father's pleasure in, in his daughters and the naming of them. Jemima means dove. Keziah comes from the word casia, which it has to do with the, the cinnamon flower. And Karen Hepuk 
refers to a type of makeup, a highly prized eyeshadow of the time. So these, are, these are words of, of affection, names of affection. It shows that his daughters receive a, a share in his wealth, a share that usually was only given to uh, the males of, of a household, the male heirs, according to the Old Testament law. Now, is this suggesting to us that Job is receiving all of these blessings as a reward of his faithfulness? Is this saying that if you trust the Lord, he'll give you a happy ending? Christianity is is not a means to prosperity, as some have taught in the past and some are still teaching today. But it is possible for the Lord to change your life and to grant you a 180 degree turn. It's more than possible for the Lord to bring about a great change in your life. It's more than Job could ever have imagined. There had been a time when Job failed to imagine that the Lord could ever be good to him again or even renew his life in such a way. Everything that was dear to him was taken away. The only, there only remained the certainty of death. The Lord had refined him like a tree that had been cut down and as, as if there was no life left. But now, he's blessed. The memory and the sorrow still there. The graves of his loved ones still there. But there was happiness and laughter, which are blessings of the Lord, true gifts of God. And what does it show show to us, congregation? It, It shows us that spring came back, just like it does for us every year. And God's way of doing things, winter is always followed by spring. Hope and joy return in abundance. Now for some, that may mean receiving the kind of blessings that Job received. But for others, it will be even greater. It may not be the blessings of this life, but a fuller, greater blessing. That is to follow in the life to come. Now you might say that will never happen to me. This could never happen to me. You might say that the Lord would never do such a thing in your lifetime. Well, if that's how you think, read the book of Job. This is such an encouragement for us, an encouraging ending. And even better, consider the the Lamb's book of life and the glories that await those who walk in the light of Christ and the hope of eternal glory. And that way the book of Job concludes in the way that it started, a scene of great blessing, a scene of great favor. Job, having received grace, now demonstrates that forgiveness to his friends 
and their unfaithfulness. He bore no grudges, and he died old and full of years. And may that be something that our lives are known for as well. May we today be basking in the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. And may we end our days resting in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.